Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. We're at the end of the Odyssey. Uh, we do have one more much shorter Greek epic to cover, but this is our last week with Homer. There are only two works by Homer, and today we finished the second one of them. Um, and this means it has been almost a year of Greek epics. All three of the Greek epics take 52 weeks to cover. Um, and and so we only have four more weeks of epics after this. Um, I'm still wrapping my head around the fact that I've been podcasting for a year now. Um, it's not something I ever thought I would do, but I really am having so much fun doing it. So I have no plans to stop anytime soon. Um, anyway, today's episode will be a little longer than the past 23 episodes because we need to talk about the epic as a whole, as well as talking about book 24 specifically. So let's get started. Book 23 could have been the end, um, but we still saw Odysseus heading off to let his dad know that he's home and to plant his oar, um, so we were left with a few loose ends. Despite that, Book 24 doesn't exactly pick up where Book 23 leaves off. Um, and the way it starts does grant some merit to the scholars who argue that Book 24 is a later edition. Anyway, uh, book 24 begins with Hermes leading the ghosts of all of the suitors to the underworld. And there they meet some real heroes, Achilles, Patroclus, um, Antilochus, and big Ajax. Um, and they hang out for a bit. And then Agamemnon shows up. Um, Achilles shakes his head and comments about how after all of his victories, Agamemnon died at home. Um, Agamemnon is not amused. He wishes he'd died in battle like his friends instead of the more embarrassing death of being murdered by his wife. He'd much have preferred a death and a funeral like the one that Achilles had, and then he spends several lines describing it. Then Agamemnon recognizes Amphimedon, who was recently killed by Odysseus. Um, he's surprised to see the younger man is dead and asks what happened, and Amphimedon tells him how the suitors vied for Penelope's hand, and then Odysseus came home and killed all of them, and he spends several lines retelling books 21 and 22. Agamemnon's response? Oh, he's a little jealous of Odysseus because his own wife was not so faithful, thus the whole being a ghost in the underworld deal. So that's what's happening in the underworld. Meanwhile, up on Earth, Odysseus and his men walk to the farm where Laertes has taken up residence. Odysseus sends his men into the house to roast a pig and prepare a meal while Odysseus seeks out his father. It takes some looking, but eventually he finds Laertes tending a new fruit tree. Um, Odysseus is surprised by how old his dad looks. I mean, he's only been gone for 20 years. Like, it, it, people, concept of age. Although, um, I suppose I should come back to we have to remember that there's the 10 and that, or, you know, nine and then in the 10th thing that frequently happens um, in Greek mythology. And so, you know, if we have nine, nine years and then in the 10th, the Trojan War ends. Um, and so then Odysseus, you know, also has to travel for nine years and then the 10th he gets home. So is it really 10 years? Is it, has he really been gone for 20? Um, but because, you know, that's just a thing. Like we say, oh, it's been a gajillion. Well, it's like, oh, it was 10. Um math. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I used to be a math teacher. But anyway, Odysseus comments on how well cared for the orchard is and asks who the old man's master is. Um, he says that he's a traveler and has come to see a friend who lives on Ithaca, but he can't get a straight 
word out of anyone over whether or not his friend is still alive. Uh, maybe, maybe this old man knows? Laertes weeps and speaks of all of the sorrows on Ithaca since Odysseus has been gone. He asks the stranger who he is, and Odysseus, instead of using the story that he's been telling, he, he has a whole brand new lie um, about how he's, he's this prince from some other land, and five years ago he met Odysseus when Odysseus was passing through, um, and that's why he's come to Ithaca, to see his friend Odysseus. Uh, Laertes has a total meltdown when he hears his son's name, and Odysseus realizes that maybe he's gone a bit too far in his ruse this time. Like, no, 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 Dad, I'm Odysseus, he finally says. And of course, Laertes doesn't believe him. He asks for proof. Um, so, of course, you know, Odysseus starts by showing him the scar, because that's his favorite look. I have the scar from the boar. Um, but then he goes on um, about the orchard. He remembers He remembers the trees that they planted when he was a boy. There were 13 pear trees, 10 apple trees, and 40 fig trees. Oh, and, and the vineyard, too. There were 50 rows of vines. Um, and Laertes knows that this truly is his son. Um, and he embraces him, uh, but then pulls back because if the suitors have paid for their actions, then all hell is going to break loose on Odysseus. Odysseus says they'll have lunch first and then worry about it, and they go back to the house. And Athena can't resist stepping in to make Laertes look young and strong again, just like she did to Odysseus so many times before. As they eat, the slaves who work the orchards, a man named Dolios and his unnamed sons, return to the farmhouse, and they are thrilled to learn that Odysseus is finally home and greet him warmly. And so so this small group, um, Odysseus, Telemachus, a um, handful of servants, Laertes, they enjoy a pleasant meal together. Meanwhile, everyone in town has learned about what happened at the palace the other night, and masses descend on the palace. They gather up the dead, burying those from Ithaca and sending the rest to the port to be taken to their respective homes for burial there. Um, they then hold an assembly to discuss how they should handle this atrocity. Antinous's father, Eupathes, says that they should hunt Odysseus down and kill him because revenge is the only suitable action. Several others think this sounds like a good idea, but Menon stands up and tells them how he saw a god take the shape of Mentor and join the fight on Odysseus's side. Um, and if, if the gods were on his side then, they will surely be on his side again. And an old seer tells them that the suitors were never honorable in their actions to begin with. So what's done is done, and they should just leave matters be. And several agree with this logic, but but not everyone. Uh, Eupathes and these diehards run for their arms and prepare to march against Odysseus. Meanwhile, up on Olympus, Athena is watching the action and asks Zeus if this is really what he wants. Zeus rolls his eyes. This isn't what she was going for. She's the one who's been directing the action all this time. She didn't see this coming. For his part, Zeus is cool with her ending the fight now. Athena flies down to Earth and reaches the farm just as Odysseus and his men are realizing that they should arm themselves. As usual, she disguises herself as mentor and urges Laertes on, giving him a little bit of a boost along the way. He throws his spear and kills Eupathes. The two sides are about to come to blows when Athena intercedes and tells them to stop or else Zeus will be angry. To punctuate that statement, Zeus throws a firebolt that lands at Athena's feet. Um, sorry, a thunderbolt. I don't know why I said firebolt. <laughs> this isn't Harry Potter. Um, he throws a thunderbolt that lands at Athena's feet. Everyone stops fighting, and Athena, still in her mentor disguise, negotiates peace. And that 
is the end of the Odyssey. As I noted last week and at the beginning of this episode, Book 24 is a bit of an outlier within the larger epic that is the Odyssey. Uh, The story could have ended with Book 23, but the loose ends of the oar in Laertes and how everyone was going to react when they found out that Odysseus had killed effectively an entire generation of men. Um, One of my sources actually notes that he kind of killed two generations of Ithacans because all of his men died on their way home from Troy. Um, I mean, whether or not all of that was his fault, some of it was their own fault, frankly. I mean, they, did, they, they ate the cattle of the God, of, of the cattle of the sun. He told them not to, and they did anyway. Um, anyway, book 24 ties up most of those loose ends. It is notable, though, that we don't see him perform the penance with the oar and building the shrine to Poseidon. So if book 24 was added later to tie up the loose ends, it, it doesn't do the best job of it. And the way it accomplishes that job is kind of jarring. Um, to begin with, Odysseus is a total jerk to his father. I mean, what reason does he have to test Laertes' loyalty? Uh, Laertes had stepped aside from ruling even before Odysseus left for Troy, and he poses no threat to his son. Odysseus has reason to be in disguise when he goes to the palace. Um, We know what happened to Agamemnon, so his testing of Penelope is understandable. Um, But Laertes is doing nothing except for being a farmer, so I just... There's there's no there's no good reason for Odysseus to to go in disguise and not just say say Dad I'm home. Um, you have to wonder if his mother were still alive, how he would have presented himself to her. Um, and then and then um, we have this total Deus ex machina to wrap things up. Athena and Zeus step in to stop the fighting. And now we've seen the gods intervene in previous books um, plenty of times, but not not so blatantly. Uh, Most of the time they're more providing a gentle nudge or a punishment by, you know, bringing up storms and things. But they're not, not like, not this literal, hey, stop that. And it's, it is much more like what we see in, you know, Euripides um, with, with that God in the machine, right? Um, And, and, we even saw that Athena really wants to fight alongside Odysseus when he gets his revenge on the suitors, but she doesn't because there's no glory in it. So there's there's no glory in the way, um, the way book twenty four ends. Um, but I mean, so we can see that there are elements of book twenty four that are out of line with the rest of the epic. Um, so that you know really supports the argument that. Book 24 is a later edition, um, possibly written by someone someone else. Um, he could have been somebody using the name Homer. We don't know how many Homers there were. Um, but it, Book 24 really doesn't feel the same as the other 23 books in, in the Odyssey. Um, and, and as I mentioned before, the story isn't really quite over. Ithaca is at peace, at least for now. Um, but Odysseus... Odysseus hasn't finished that swords to plowshares assignment, taking taking his oar to where someone doesn't know what it is and asks why he's carrying that winnowing fan and turning this this oar into a winnowing fan. So um, 
so we have a conclusion, but it's a very sudden one. And I mean, it just, it just stops. Um, it, 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 you're, you want to turn the page and say, well, where's book 25? I, I feel like I've, I feel like I'm missing something. Um, but that's, that's where it ends. Um, all right. We aren't quite finished um, with the Odyssey yet um, as far as looking at it in the podcast. Um, so we will take one, one more short break and then look at the epic as, as a whole, all 24 books and not focusing specifically on one of them. We've finished the Odyssey, and what a journey it's been, right? Fencing, fighting, torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes. Wait, that's the Princess Bride. Ah, they all apply. Well, mostly, I'm not sure um, there's a lot of what we might call fencing, but pretty much everything else is in the Odyssey, too. Um, The big overarching theme that we see is civilization. Um... That's really where Odysseus is trying to to go, right? Back to civilization. Um, And one of my sources notes that he has to literally go to hell and back to get there. Um, But that's his goal, civilization. Um, If we ignore the Telemachy, those first four books, uh, we see that Odysseus's travels include either a total lack of civilization or some sort of perversion of it until he reaches Ithaca, or I, I might say some Thing that the Greeks might consider a perversion of it. Um, the the Phaeacians, it sounds like they've got a pretty ideal idyllic place that they're they're living. There's a reasonable amount of equality going on um, between the king and the queen. Um, but that that is something that a good good Greek man would look askance at that woman having as much power um, as Aridi has. Um, so. It, take that obviously (laughs) into consideration when we say civilization um and and even though he gets to Ithaca um once he gets there the tenets of civilization civilization are being violated by the suitors um and so this is another reason that book 23 is a logical ending of the epic um all of the violations of civilization have been dealt with and Odysseus is back in his marriage bed, um, which raises the question of how women fit into this world. Um, a big problem with old stories and several newer ones is the concept of women as a prize. Um, not that Penelope is exactly a prize that is won by Odysseus, but uh, the suitors certainly treat her that way. Um, and, 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 so yeah, you know, she is, hanging out there as this prize to be won um but we do i mean we do see in the reunion between odysseus and penelope that they are they are very equal um given the time in which this was written um that that she is she is considered to be his peer in on so many counts um but we can't escape the fact that civilization is achieved with a marriage um and this, of course, brings me back to Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey, who I spent, you know, however, four, four weeks, five weeks talking about. Um, we can apply those stages in the hero's journey to a lot of stories. Um, and there, I mean, there are some stories that are written with those stages as a template. Um, I know that sometimes I use that when I'm getting my head around things that I'm writing. Um, but the theory really kind of starts here with the Odyssey. 
Um, and there's there's a big problem with the hero's journey as originally written that I I haven't discussed before. Um, it is very androcentric. Um, now, I personally think the stages can be adapted to any person, but the original goal was civilization, and civilization was personified by a woman. And that means that women equal civilization, so women don't need to go on a hero's journey because they've already achieved the quest for civilization just by being born. Yeah, that's a bit problematic. Um, but... In, we see that here, that Penelope represents that final goal of achieving civilization. Um, so it, yeah, um, just some, something to think about. But as I was rereading those last few books when Odysseus is home and Penelope maybe has an inkling that it's him, I got to think about thinking about something that, that really and truly happened um, several centuries later. It was around 1500. Um, have you ever heard of, of the return of Martin, Martin Guerre? Um, it, this is something that happened in kind of in the Basque region between France and Spain. Um, he went off to war, um, and he was gone for several years and then he came home. Um, sure. He'd been kind of tall and skinny when he left and he was short and fat when he returned. Uh, but he went back to his wife and everyone was cool with it. Until Martin Guerre really came home, and it turned out that the man who'd come home was an imposter named Arnaud Duty. Um, and like I said, this happened in the 1500s, and we know about it because we have the trial records from when Duty was was put on trial for impersonating um, Martin Guerre. Um, but but what we don't know about the case is whether or not Bertrand, Martin Guerre's wife, um, was fooled by the imposter. In court, she understandably swore that she didn't know he wasn't really her husband. I mean, it would be really bad for her if if she'd been holding up this, you know, guys. Um, so, so we don't we don't know for certain. But I I kept thinking about that case as I thought about Penelope and how she looked at the stranger who Telemachus had brought home. And just thinking, does she know or is she fooled? I mean, just like Bertrand, did Bertrand know or was she fooled? Um, Anyway, it is a fascinating case, and the references for this episode include an excellent monograph called The Return of Martin Guerre. Um, and the guys who wrote Les Miserables also wrote a musical called Martin Guerre, if you want to look that up. Um, I was able to find the um, cast album on YouTube, so I shared a couple of songs on the blog um, for your listening pleasure. I I I think it's great. I love the music in, in this in this um, show. Anyway, um, and again, it is just it's a fascinating story, and and it does it does have you know like some real life aspects of of that homecoming of Odysseus, um, and and obviously um, Bertrand did not test um, the man she thought was her husband the way Penelope <laughs> tested Odysseus. They also probably didn't have a bed that was an olive tree. Um, Back to the Odyssey. Um, there are two ways to look at this epic as a whole. Um, it is a physical journey that actually, I mean, mythologically speaking, happened. Or maybe it's an emotional journey that's all an Odysseus has had. So is it? Um, and if it is just an emotional journey, where is Odysseus really? Uh, asleep? A psych ward in the shower? 
Okay, there weren't psych wards back then. Um, but it is something to consider when we look at this as an example of the hero's journey. Um, it doesn't have to be a physical thing. And this is why I I somewhat contest the argument that women can't go on a hero's journey because they're already at, they've already reached the goal. Um, that's assuming it's a physical thing. Um, but if it's a psychological thing, if it's it's emotional, if it's if it's something that can happen in our heads, then then anybody can do that. The monsters we encounter in our lives are not necessarily physical beings. Um, we can go through all of those stages of a heroic journey without ever leaving home. So, is Odysseus's journey real, or just his way of coming to terms with the losses the Trojan War wrought? So, what do you think? Odyssey good? Bad? Better or worse than the Iliad? Just as good, only in a different way. What do you think of our hero? What do you think of that ending? Um, Have your thoughts on civilization changed or what it means to be a man or a woman or just a human being? Pop over to the blog and share your thoughts. I have prompts specific to Book 24 and for the epic as a whole there. Um, And like I said, a couple of songs from Martin Guerre. Uh, You can find the whole thing on YouTube. Um... At the pop over to the blog, yeah. So I, um, the blog is at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. Please join me on Patreon. You can find me there as triumvirclio, and that URL is also in the show notes. On Monday, we will read Plautus's Curculio. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.